I think at the end of the day, comparing yourself with other people is probably not the the healthiest thing to do. I, I think at the end of the day, you need to bring it back to, did I make improvements? You know, did I have the best race that I could have for myself and not all, not always compare yourself to your neighbor? Hello, everyone. Welcome back for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we've actually got a guest on the show. We brought in fellow Ignition Coach Curtis Tolson, who shares some wisdom from his lifelong journey through this sport and brings a new perspective to the show. We start with a couple listener questions on how to account for your training over the holiday break and what an alternative base season could look like before diving into a year-end question that I raised on how to go about reviewing your season to determine overall success. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. Everyone here at Ignition leans heavily on Flow Formulas for everyday training and race fueling needs. If you too want to give it a try, or if you already subscribe to their products and need to re-up your inventory, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your order. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, The Matchbox Podcast, or head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. All right, hey everyone. This show's going to be a little bit different than usual. We've got a guest on the show today and Curtis Tolson. Uh, Curtis is one of our Ignition coaches here, uh, good friends with Drew. They go uh, back a few years. And Drew, I'm going to let you do a little bit of an intro here on, on Curtis. Yeah, I'm st- Curtis, feel free to, to chime in too. <laughs> yeah, you yeah I'm screwed up. Uh, <laughs> now I'm stoked to have Curtis on the podcast, Curtis, and have him on board at Ignition. Uh, as far as like coaching goes, like I think Curtis is like the first coach I've probably ever met. Uh, I've never been coached by Curtis, but he's always been like a pretty strong influence in my life growing up <laughs> in cycling. He was always just a local fast guy. He's ran the, he's been the team manager of the Texas Roadhouse cycling team for 20 plus years. He's been racing on the road and the track since like the 80s, uh, and like. Basically, everybody in Kentucky who rides bikes knows Curtis. Like, I was at a gas station last summer in, like, the middle of nowhere. And a guy saw that I was on a bike, and I had a Texas Roadhouse kit. And he said, you know Curtis Tolson? And I was like, sure do. <laughs> so he's, like, a pretty pretty strong local legend around here. Uh, just to give you guys an idea of, you know, his uh, history as, a, as an athlete, uh, I think his biggest accomplishment that he would say is his uh masters world championship title he's so he's got the rainbow stripes back in 2018 in the uh points race on the track um and he's got 42 national championships spread out among all the different categories of road racing crit track so he's been around the block and he's on board with us at ignition so we wanted to bring him on the podcast uh to let him and we'll probably have him back every now and then to talk his his uh his bread and butter is is like race strategy and so we'll probably have him back on on the podcast here in a couple months when the race season starts to kick back up. So if you guys have any like good race strategy questions that we can start to like bank up for a uh, for a Curtis Tolson episode here in a couple months, then send those in and we'll save those and and Curtis will knock them out because he's a uh, he's like a when you talk about a tactician, Curtis is that's the kind of rider he is. So yeah, we're we're stoked to have him on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, love I'm that. Looking forward to it. 
All right. So this first question that we're getting this week, it's it's kind of a timely question, so I wanted to throw it in here so we can catch Rory before he goes on his trip. But uh, Rory sends a question and says, I'm leaving home for the holidays for approximately 10 days. So going, going away on a trip for the holidays. I'm getting into my base training with Trainer Road, and I would like to keep up with my training over this time. Is there any advice you have on how I can continue to train even if I don't have access to a trainer or a bike? So he's on a trainer well, road. First of all, Rory, he's trying to train a road plan. He's asking us for advice. <laughs> I was going to say, Dude, if he had that? An ignition coach, his, his ignition coach would, would have that squared away <laughs> in his training plan, but that's all right. We we, we welcome the questions from from. They elsewhere. don't have a so, coach to do this what kind you, of stuff. What the like? Why is he coming to us? <laughs> not as good. Not not as yeah, good I coaches. Guess not. Um, so I'm I'm sure this is super common for all of us. I'm sure we've had athletes in this in this scenario, and we've probably been in this scenario before ourselves. Um, but I want I want to hear you know like how, when you've got an athlete who's coming to you. Let's say they're in the you know the Miller Bay season. And they say, Hey, I've got a I've got a family trip coming up. I'm not going to be able to bring my bike with me. What's kind of the first thing you you pull or gravitate towards when trying to give them some advice or write out their training for for that block of time? You're I screwed. Think t- give up now. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think two things. My first thought is running, but running is like if you're not used to running, then that's out. You know, like you can't you can't just pick up some running shoes and substitute a whole week of training with running. If you've been running before and you're used to that and like adapted to it, then that's that's my first thought because it's like similar enough to cycling and aerobic enough about cycling to where you could maintain some fitness if you run. But yeah, if somebody hasn't been running and they try to run for a whole week, like it's just not going to they're going to do more harm than they would good. So then my second thing would be try to make that a rest week, like try to try to make it to where you're doing a lot of work before that week. And then that way you, maybe you can get and get out and do some activities, but if you can't do something similar to cycling, like running or a stationary bike or something like that, then, and you really don't have the, that many options, then the best thing would be to like make that a recovery week. Yeah. I would look for a gym yeah. in the area that you're going there. There's gyms everywhere. There's going to be a gym that has stationary bikes. It's obviously not ideal because you're on a bike that's foreign to you and it's probably not going to have the right fit, but it is better than doing absolutely nothing the whole week. A yeah. lot of times people are going somewhere warm too. So swimming is sometimes an option. Mm. You can't, it's hard to hurt yourself swimming. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest yeah, thing and is I would, would kind of go ahead. Go ahead, Drew. I was going to say the biggest thing, like even what Dylan is saying is like, even if you do find a gym, like it's just going to be maintenance. Like you're going to be basically, you're just trying to, even if you can run, that's still minimizing your losses is what, is what the goal is. You're not going to be able to, if you're outside your like normal trading element, I feel like you're just not going to be able to make significant gains unless the trip is for training. Like if you're going out of town for a week to do a training camp, that's a different story, but it's just hard to like, if you're traveling to see family and stuff, it's just hard to balance that and like trying to make fitness gains at the same time. Right. Yeah. And that that's what I was going to say. You know, I, I kind of echo your second thought there where you're talking about making that, you know, rest week, you know, or at the very least a recovery week. Um, and all of my athletes know I've, I highly value recovery in, in any athlete's training plan. That's something I design into every training plan. I, I watch closely how much recovery they're getting. Um, and this would be a time where I would advise one of my athletes to just know that this is going to be a recovery week. Like Drew, you're saying, this is not a time where we're going to, we're going to make any you know progressive gains during this time. 
you know, if, if anything, yeah, you're mitigating losses, but recovery weeks are part of your typical training plan. So, you know, you're probably not going to go and just sit on the couch for 10 days. I'm, I'm guessing wherever you're going, you're going to be able to do something, even if you're stuck in a hotel room for 10 days. I mean, you can always do something uh, to kind of stay active. So you're not just going dormant for 10 days. But, you know, the last thing you want is for this to be, a, you know, recovery week in volume, but not a restorative week because you're stressed about trying to fit in your workouts and you're doing these uh, these workouts that are, you know, not as effective or you're, you know, trying to do like too many things in one day. And then like you get home and you're stressed and fatigued and you didn't make any gains, but now also you're like not prepared to resume training. Like the, the most important thing is that you get home and you're ready to get back to training. So, you know, if you're going to do this as you're trying to, you know, include some activity during this trip, I would say, keep it restorative, keep it, you know, re recovery oriented, keep it minimal each day. So you're not, you know, spending too much time away from your family or other obligations. And then, you you know, as soon as you get home, you're refreshed and ready to, you know, kind of get back to some training. If this was a, if this was coming during like your build or your specialty phase for whatever reason, and I've had athletes who have a work trip that, that comes up during a specialty phase, that's a little bit different story. Like we're trying to tune up specifically for something there. Um, you know, so that's different, but this is the base phase. I mean, you've, you've still got plenty of, plenty of time to resume training and you want to just be able to get back to your training as soon as possible. Yeah. It's hard to tell, like when you're this far out from a big race, it's hard to tell how, like what kind of an impact these 10 days of him not being able to ride, like how big of an impact that has for a race that's so far away. But yeah, like the closer you get yep. to that event, I think the more of an impact those 10 days off the bike would, would have on the, on the event. Did this person say what their A race is or what they're training for specifically? No. Uh, nope. So a huge mis I I actually don't, I think that Christmas, New Year's time is actually a fine time to take a little bit of a break. And it's really because uh, for, for most events that you would be training for that are happening spring summer uh starting back starting starting your base training when you get back from that break is probably the perfect time to start and i i actually think it's a bigger mistake to start your base training too early and i see a lot of people making that mistake um you know they they're so itching to get back into training that they start their base training in like late October, early November, when their A race isn't until June, it's just, it's too early. Um, so I, you know, I usually don't start base training until maybe the last week of December or first week of January, depends on what my first A race is. But that means that, you know, having, having a, a couple days off around the Christmas time period is not the end of the world at all. I mean, you're not even into your base training yet. Right. Yeah. So that, Curtis, unless you have anything else to add, that, that kind of uh, transitions into the next question we have. I mean, I would just say that most people, you know, they're, they're, they kind of, I've got athletes right now. I've got one guy that's got a sore knee. I'm um, trying to get him to rest it. He doesn't have a race till like Dylan said, June, you know, that he's really keying on. And I cannot get him to rest this, this tendonitis. So, yeah, they just, mm -hmm. they get, they get in this mode where they just, they don't want to go ever go backwards. And I don't think they value what, a little rest period can do for you. Yeah. You actually, you for actually sure. need to let yourself go backwards at some points in the year. And I, I would add too, totally. I think, I think yeah. I was in that camp for a long time when I was younger and, you know, I've had two ablations for AFib and I think letting down and not trying to stay high level all the time 
can help you in, in long-term health. You know, you just, you just have to rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that most, if not all of my athletes have found through, you know, my programming is at first they're really hesitant when I say like, Hey, we're going to take two weeks off at the end of the year, you know, completely off the bike, not doing anything. They're like, well, I don't know. I've never taken time off the bike. And then when I throw in like a quarterly five day period off the bike, um, or like, you know, frequent rest weeks, like for, especially for masters athletes, like, you know, rest week every three weeks, like they're really hesitant at first, but once they see the value that like, Hey, they're making consistent progressive improvements throughout the season, like not just for a little period of time, but like as the whole season progresses, like they're making improvements, they really start to value the, the recovery and rest periods. Like I do. Um, and, and until you do it and realize like taking a week off is not the end of the world. And if anything, it's probably going to help you in the long run. It's really hard to wrap your mind around why that's so beneficial. And I think a lot of athletes think I'm paying this coach to give me hard workouts. They're not paying, <laughs> they're say. not paying you to tell them yep. to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. going to say like the same thing. Like I feel like coaches sometimes even fall into this trap of like, well, they're paying me. So like, I need to give them workouts because that's what they're paying me for. But that's like thinking of your job uh, wrongly. Like our job isn't to give an athlete hard workouts. It's to give them the best method of training. And the best method of training yeah. is a balance of hard and easy. And a lot of times people forget about the easy part of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Or even, you know, even like all of some times where, you know, an, an athlete goes through a block and then they get sick or something comes up and I'm like, we just really need to repeat that block. Like, we didn't get what we wanted out of it. Uh, so like I literally, you know, will more or less copy and paste like the same exact weekly program in like two weeks later. Um, and I don't feel bad doing it. Cause I'm like, this is what you need. Mm -hmm. We just, we need to go back to it. Like, I know it looks the same. I know you've kind of already done this, but like we need to hit this again because we can't move on to the next phase until like we get some of these adaptations in and, you know, but a lot of coaches, you know, in that scenario would be like hesitant to do that because, how it's perceived by the athlete is like, well, they're just giving me the same thing over and over again. And that's not really true. It's like, there's a specific purpose for what we were trying to do there. We didn't quite hit that. So like, we need to repeat that because I'm looking for something, you know, to get something out of this block. And if we didn't get that, I don't want to move on to the next block too early. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we got another question here. This one comes from Christian. Uh, Christian says, hi, I have a hard time figuring out when to start my base training. I have some upcoming gravel races in January, February, and a longer race in April. I really want to do well in these races. So should I postpone my base season until after those races or just add them into my base season? Even though this kind of goes against the low intensity, high volume model, I typically ride around 15 hours a week and some weeks are 18 plus hours. Uh, and Christian just sent this in like a week and a half ago. So, um, you know, Christian's still trying to figure out when to do their base season. Uh, even though they've got some key races coming up in the early part of next year. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is the, this is always the temptation, right? <laughs> I mean, you could start your race season in January or February every single year if you wanted to, and just never base train ever in your life. You could, I mean, if you wanted to, you could just continuously race all year. Um, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to this. I don't, I, I personally, and what I prefer for athletes, although I know some, some athletes, it, you can't get around it. I prefer to not do any racing whatsoever in the three month base period. And I don't, I don't think it's too much to ask to carve out a three month section of your year that doesn't have racing. 
personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think some people, you know, kind of going back to like Dylan, what you were talking about in the last question of like, you know, people start their base training too early or, you know, like they, they started in October, November, because that's what they see other people doing. That's kind of the same thing here. Like if you live somewhere where the winter season or, you know, early spring season is the prime race season. So like, let's say somewhere in the South, like Texas or Southern California, and like there's big races that happen during that time, then maybe you need to like do your base season in the summer when you're not racing as much or find a Mm -hmm. period, you know, in the summertime, you know, or or fall where like you're not racing. Like you just need to flip your schedule completely on its head compared to like what most of the rest of the country is doing. Um, Because yeah, otherwise like you're just never going to be able to address those aerobic adaptations that you need. Like you, you have to have some one, you have to have like some period of the year where you're not racing and not doing super high intensity consistently, but you also like have to, go back and build your aerobic base. So like, if you don't, if you don't have that built in, you're just never really going to get anywhere. You're just going to kind of like be in this cyclical loop where like you might have some improvements throughout the year, but then you're going to kind of relapse on that. And like, you're probably never going to make improvements year after year, but don't be afraid to like flip it and do your base season in the summertime. It, for a lot of people that actually makes a lot of sense because like where I live, it's really hard to do high volume in South Dakota in the wintertime. Like I do my biggest volume in the summertime it just so happens that like that's not really considered the base season because I'm doing some racing and stuff. But like that's kind of what I have to do to like I have to build up my aerobic engine when I have access to like higher volume training. So I don't I don't know if that helps this person in particular because it sounds like they haven't done it's, their base training yet. Yeah. Um. I mean, you you could do that. You could do a racing block and then take a short break and then do base training and then do another racing block. That That probably wouldn't be a bad thing to do. Um, yeah. And that's what I would probably recommend here for Christian. Cause it's, it sounds like they're open to that. Uh, like the question says, I really want to do well in these races. So should I postpone base season until after these races or just add them into the base season? And like, if these are priority races, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to compromise your base season if you're really focused on performing well in these races. So that's kind of what I would recommend is like, if you, if you have the opportunity, like if you have three, four months between your race in April and your next big race, like, um, maybe not even, maybe probably more than that. I mean, you, you, you might need five or six months till your next big race. Um, you know, but for sure you need three or four months. That's what I would do is just maybe postpone some of that base training till afterwards. If I were coaching him, I would ask him how, the first question I would ask him is how important are these races in January, February, and March? Cause it sounds like the one in April is the one that's kind of more important like he mentioned some he says mm-hmm. that's the longer one so in my head i'm thinking that's probably the one that matters the most and i would say i don't know how many races he's trying to do but maybe we could still do base training from now till april he'd have to start like right now and he could do one race a month and it would be a c priority race so like i'm okay if he does like one race a month in january february and march but I would want his expectations for those races, especially the January and February ones, to be very low. Like basically treat those races like training. Like we wouldn't taper for them. Um, yeah, and everything. So that's what I would do. And then maybe the race in March, like if he did one race in March and then the big race in April, that's what I would try to do. Um, that's kind of what I'm going to do anyways, is like after the cross season and I take a rest period, I've got I'm leaning on doing that that BWR series, and I think the first race is like February. So I'm like, if I go to it, I'm literally just going to be using it for training. Um, but 
my big races don't really start till like April. So it's kind of like where I'm, where my head is, is like, if you are going to race during your base season, you just have to have very low priority races. I think there's some value in going through the process of pinning on a number and getting your eating right and just staying kind of in that game, you know, but, but again, like you said, keep the priority really low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that wraps up our listener question segment. I, I wanted to get into, since we're in December now, uh, I wanted to have one discussion each week on kind of end of year discussions. So like whether it's like looking back or looking forward. Uh, so this week we're going to, we're going to take a, a look back. So my question for you guys oh, as this coaches is a curve, all of this us. This is a curveball. I didn't know you were doing this. A little bit of a curveball. Yeah. It's you, a little bit of a curveball. this one in there. <laughs> so my question is how do you go about like reviewing an athlete's or your own uh, season mm. uh, from both an objective and subjective perspective to determine like overall success and, you know, help using that to help project future seasons? That's a good question. I think this is that like the, the heart of that question. I feel like a lot of people don't do a good job of what you just said. It's like, oh, the season ended and you kind of like don't give enough time to to really like think about it and learn from it. You just kind of move on to the next thing. But that doesn't answer your question. I just think it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it, for, for me, it's hard to it's hard to know how to how to project next season without taking a look back at this season. Yeah. So, you know, not, you know, yeah, I think it's a really important thing to do this time of year. Um, doesn't have to be in December. I mean, you can, you can always reflect back and, you know, a little bit later, but for me, it's like, that's before you can move on. Like, you really need to need to do that. You guys watch cars, you know, cars with lightning McQueen. I think one of the best lines yeah. from that movie is when Mater is driving backwards through the woods and lightning McQueen is like blown away. He's like, what the heck? And he's like, I'm the world's best backwards driver. And then he pops out of the woods and he's backwards and he says, don't need to know where I'm going. Just need to know where I've been. I'm like, that's a good, like, that's some deep, that's some deep, like, uh, what do you call that? Uh, not psychology philosophy right there. I'm like, man, Mater dropping the philosophy on us. But I think I, what I try to do is I have like a goals form that I will use as how are we going to plan for next season? But like you said, it's got several different parts to it. And before we get to like, what are your goals for 2024? The the first part is this year's assessment. So before we get to 2024 goals, we, we talk yeah, about... Yeah, and that's what I want to focus on. We'll talk about goals next week. Yeah. This week is like just assessing right, you know, the, the, right. you know, the current or previous year. So I use a goals... I, I use that form. And uh, I think... A couple of the questions that are on there uh, are, I think the main one that, that really kind of gets at, at what I try to get from the athlete is, do you think that the season was a success? Why or why not? And I think it's okay if people say it wasn't successful, like if they didn't accomplish the things that they set out to accomplish. I think it's okay to admit it wasn't as successful as I thought, but but you can't just leave it there. You need to, you need to, the why like why it was successful or why it wasn't successful is important because then that's going to develop how you or determine how you're going to move forward of like, okay, I screwed these things up. So how do I change it for this coming year? 
So I'll give a I'll give a real life example here from an athlete that I actually coach, and I'll I'll talk about this because I know that this athlete wouldn't mind me talking about him on the podcast. In fact, if anything, he'd probably appreciate the shout out. Um, so I I coach a fellow lifetime Grand Prix athlete, Jack Odron. Uh, he's actually the youngest rider in the Grand Prix. I think he was twenty last year, and now he's twenty one. Um, so last year was his first year in the Grand Prix and his goal that he stated at the beginning of the year was just to place as high as possible in the Grand Prix. Um, so he really didn't care about any other racing except for Grand Prix races. And then if there's a race that was probably his most important Grand Prix race of them all, it was probably Leadville because he's done Leadville the most and it suits him the best. Uh, he grew up at altitude He's a phenomenal climber, and he's also the kind of rider that just likes to ride at a steady power output all day as opposed to doing uh, spiky efforts. So what what we did when we were going back uh, and looking at whether his season was successful or not successful is, you know, we looked at um, some subjective you know, I, I asked him some subjective questions, like, how do you feel about the season? How did you feel during the season? Like, were there parts of the season where you felt really fresh? Were there parts of the season where you felt really tired? And there were, there were parts of the season where he felt amazing and he felt like he crushed every workout. And then there were parts of the season where he felt like every workout, he was barely getting through it. Um, and, and then we looked at some more objective measurements, like his power output in races, his power output on various efforts at various times of the season. Um, but I think that probably what was the most helpful for us was taking a look at what races he did well at and what races he didn't do well at and kind of trying to assess his strengths and weaknesses. Cause like I've already said, he's a pretty steady state rider. Um, and that was very apparent in his Grand Prix results. He did really well at Leadville um, and he had some other races where he did well at, and I think his worst race was Schwamigan. So that's not surprising, right? Schwamigan is the shortest and punchiest race. Leadville is a very long and steady race at altitude. And I, I think that kind of the conclusion we came to, and I don't know if this is getting into next week's question too much, but the conclusion that we came to by assessing that is that if he wants to become a good Grand Prix racer and not just a good Leadville racer or a good altitude racer, we need to work on this punchiness problem that he has. So assessing weaknesses, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I think that's a great determination on your part as a coach to say like, you know, cause sometimes, sometimes you have to face this question of, do I work on my strengths and try to cater to that? Or do I work on my weaknesses and try and become more mm -hmm. well-rounded? Um, and I think in Jack's case here, I think that makes a lot of sense because he's racing at such a high level, at, you know, the pinnacle of gravel racing in the U.S. Like you to, to try and just play to your strengths is really going to pigeonhole him into his opportunities. Uh, now, there's other athletes where that might not be the case. And I think that's as a coach, you have to make that distinction. Sometimes you have to decide, like, OK, are we going to work on parlaying off your strengths this season or are we going to try and hone in on your weaknesses um, and it depends on each athlete and what their goals are and what, um, what kind of racing they're doing, you know, what their physiology is like, it, it depends on each athlete. But I think for Jack, that makes a lot of sense because if he wants to be a competitive mm -hmm. Grand Prix or gravel athlete, like he's got to work on some weaknesses. Yeah. And what, what I told Jack, uh, is that 
you know, you could, you could choose to be a Colorado racer where you race these races that just have really long climbs at altitude. And you would probably be really good at that. Or, you know, you could, you could try to go beyond that and try to be a good Grand Prix racer. If, if you want to do the latter, then you need to work on these weaknesses. If you want to do the former, then just let your weaknesses be what they are. It's not like it matters that much anyway. So it does, it does very much depend on the person's goals. One of the things talking about strengths and weaknesses that I'm thinking about is like, it also is like, if you're on a team that kind of plays that dynamic too, because when you're on a team, every rider has different strengths and weaknesses. And depending on the event, different riders will shine and different riders will have different roles. Like I'm just thinking of when I was on roadhouse, there were very specific races where the team would, would say, like drew like this is your race to win and there were a lot of races where it was like not you know so there's (laughs) just depending on like what the course was and who was there so like snake alley and those kinds of races where there's a steep hill the team was always like yeah this is where drew does the best but on a flat turning course it's like all right drew your role is going to be to work for the sprinters so it's cool because in a team atmosphere you can play off of your teammates strengths and weaknesses so that's kind of cool too i I just found myself thinking that as you guys were talking about that. Yeah. And that's a great point. That's why I was going to hand it over to Curtis and say, you know, that's kind of that, that same thing, you know, as a road racer, you know, someone who's racing primarily on a team, when do you, you know, when have you found that you've needed to make the distinction between like really honing in on your, your strengths and then also working on your weaknesses? Well, I mean, and how do you assess that as, as from, you know, from looking back in your season? Uh, you know, I, I think when, you know, as a team director, I guess, you know, like Drew said, we, we know kind of, we predict how we think a race will go and what, what, you know, it's, it's a, you can win a race doing a low percentage move, right? I mean, you like in a basketball game, uh, you don't see the guy come out and throw up a half court shot right after the tip off. You know, that's, that's a late game mm-hmm. desperation thing to do. So Cycling is the same way. There are things you can do, like a guy could go a solo break from the gun. It might work one out of 10,000 times, you know. So it worked for us once last year. But understanding, <laughs> yeah, understanding kind of kind of how the race is going to go and what's the likely scenario and, okay, what's our best play, right? And, and in terms of being one of the riders, if it's not your, your play, you've got to be okay with just, you know, at the end of the day, when you come back to the car, it's, did I do my job? Did I get Drew to the last uh, entry onto the snake? Did I, you know, did I do what we talked about? And ob- obviously, you have to call audibles and stuff like that. But but it's it's looking at the result sheet doesn't tell the story a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So sure. the other thing I was going to add earlier, you know, a lot of my athletes, I don't know about you guys, but my athletes always, a lot of them will compare myself. They'll say, well, you know, Billy Bob over there had a great season, mm. you know, and they'll, you know, this guy can sprint, that guy can climb. And they just, the, the thing I would always point out to them is that when you self-assess your yourself, you're seeing the entire body of work. You're seeing your bad days. You're seeing your good days. When you look at the other person, all you're seeing, all you're remembering is their highlight reel. So it's not mm. really ever a fair comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that even though cycling is a sport where you're competing against other people and you're trying to actively beat other people, I think at the end of the day, comparing yourself with other people is probably not the the healthiest thing to do. 
uh, I think at the end of the day, you need to bring it back to, did I make improvements? You know, did I have the best race that I could have for myself and not all, not always compare yourself to the, your neighbor. I want to mention, um, like, I think an important part of the whole conversation is, did you have fun? I, I like, I always, I know that sounds cheesy to say, but I think it's worth talking about that with athletes because if they're not having fun, like you can have fun and still like have not done a good job. You know what I mean? Like maybe that sounds bad and then maybe that's hard to do, but I would just want to, it's going to be hard to keep moving forward if you're not enjoying it. And I think there can be a lot of enjoyment in the process. Like I would even argue that there's more enjoyment in the process than the achievements. And I think a lot of people get that wrong. They think that they're, they're not going to enjoy it or have fun until they win races. And I totally disagree with that. I think there's, there, there can be a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction and in the whole, like assessing your weaknesses and doing the work and just like putting in the, the just doing the process. Um, totally. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I always like want to yeah. talk about that, like, and make sure the athlete, cause if they're not having fun, I want to know. And I want to make a changes so that they, so that they are maybe fun's not the right word, but at least, at least satisfied. You know what I mean? Like I want them to feel satisfied. When the, the, the prize is never what the prize, the prize is never what you expected it to be. Once you have it, I don't know mm-hmm. if you all, you win the race that you've been targeting and you win it and you're like, okay, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Right. I that's mean, called the, that's, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> called the, uh, that's called the arrival fallacy. Like yeah. once you do finally win the race, you've always wanted to win. It's, it's probably not as good as you dreamed it to be. Well, I mean, you wake up the next morning, you're still the same person. You know, everyone yep. else yeah. see, might see you differently, but you're the same person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I heard uh, on a different podcast recently, uh, someone was referencing Matt Damon and when he won his first, uh, I don't know what, what, what's the award Oscar or something. Like? Oscar or something yeah. like that, you know, like whatever What's the big the big award, award is. As, as a, as a, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not that he won the world championships, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he realized, like, he went home that night and realized that everything that he thought it was going to be was completely uh, different. Like he 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 thought he would, you know, feel like he's on top of the world and he have so many people, you know, friends, everyone around him. And he said he just he 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 never felt more isolated in that moment. Mm. And he said it was a huge blessing to have found that out when he was like 25 versus when he was 60, because then he could just go on to enjoy the process of being an actor for what it is, instead of always working towards this one big thing, eventually achieving it and realizing like you're talking about, Chris, like it's not what you thought. Well, and I would ask, I would ask you, was he a better actor the day before he won the award or the day after? Probably the day after. He's the same. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't change it. Um, you know, so, and and I think Drew, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of what you're getting at. It's like, you know, making sure that at the end of the day, like, yes, we as coaches, we're trying to get our athletes to achieve their goals, but we also want them to enjoy the process along the way. And I think that's an important part of, of our job is to figure out like, what is it that makes your athlete tick? You know, like what, what is it that makes your athlete resonate with the training? And And sometimes that might be like throwing in something that's not even training, like giving them the freedom to like, Hey, go do something that's not training today because you need to have this in your life, you know, or, or knowing like, Hey, if I'm going to assign you like an, an open day, um, you know, like I'm going to expect you to go do intervals. Cause that's what you really love. Like you just love doing intervals. So like 
if I give you a free day, you're going to probably go do intervals anyways. You know, it's like just knowing like kind of like the tendencies of your athletes. Um, and, and that's really what's important about what we do at Ignition, which is not restrict communication. Because if you don't have constant communication with your athlete, you don't really get to learn their tendencies and know how they're responding, you know, both physically and mentally and emotionally to the training. Um, and having that open line of communication is really important for us to be able to do that job well. Any coach that says that they want to limit communication is like, they're basically saying, I want to be a bad coach to you. <laughs> like the, the whole point of communication is understanding. And the better the coach can understand the athlete and vice versa, the athlete understand the coach, the better the coaching is going to be. So to limit communication is to limit the entire thing. Like it's just bad. That's a bad model. But I That's think why we like don't do that. A lot of athletes, I think, are hesitant to call and ask a question, which I, I don't mm -hmm. understand that. they That's what we're yeah. here for. Yep. You're very yeah, intimidating, always... Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> he actually is, man. I was just so afraid of him when we were juniors. Well, you were 12. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> you, you, you came up to like mid-thigh on me. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I'm not afraid of him anymore. You shouldn't be. <laughs> cool. Well, I, I, think that, like I think that wrapps up the. Yeah, yeah. Then I'm afraid. I think that wraps up the conversation for today. But uh, Curtis, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, we look forward to having you on. I like like you said. I'll start banking some some questions that are a little more uh, race strategy oriented. Because uh, yeah, we want to for sure tap into that bread and butter of yours. Cool. Oh, well, yeah. I, I love talking about that stuff. So. Awesome. And everything. All yeah. right. Sweet. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> Appreciate you, it. We'll, we'll catch you next yep. week. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go. Is riding your bike still fun or has it just become a burden that you just kind of slog through to get complete? Come on, you spent all that money on those fancy bikes. You should enjoy riding them, right? We believe working with an ignition coach can help you have fun riding bikes again. Your coach will create a tailor-made training plan that fits in with everything else you have going on in your busy life. Having a coach can help you find that balancing point of goals on the bike versus goals off the bike, and they'll be able to maximize your training so you can get the most out of yourself, no matter how busy your life might be. Let's be honest, your enjoyment of cycling is directly correlated with your fitness level. Ignition Coach Co. will help you gain fitness, go fast, and have fun. Sign up today at ignitioncoachco.com.